And if you've, uh, if you've got your Bibles there, then perhaps you'd uh, open them back again to Luke and to chapter 14 and to verse 7. And while you're, uh, while you're doing that, there is a, there's a story that's told, probably quite an old story, and it might be, uh, it might be made up, but it's, it's a good story nonetheless, of a, uh, of a young American student who was fascinated by the piano. She was studying, studying the piano and learning how to, to play. And she made a trip to, to Germany, to Bonn, to visit the Beethoven Museum. And as she was there, she spotted the piano where the great composer, Beethoven, had sat down and worked out the sequence of notes that would form some of his greatest, most famous pieces of work. And she went up to the museum guard and said, uh, is, is there any chance that I could, uh, I could pay, play, play that uh, keyboard? And she brought out some money and handed it over just to ease the, ease the transaction, ease the, ease the thing. And the guard said, yeah, that's fine, off you go. And so the girl goes to the keyboard and plays the opening few notes that she knows of the Moonlight Sonata. And as she's leaving, she says to the guard, I suppose all the, all the famous, great concert pianists who, uh, who come here want to play on that piano. And the guard shook his head and he said, uh, Paderewski, who was a famous Polish pianist and who actually went on to be the Prime Minister of Poland, he was here a few years ago and he said to me, I'm not worthy to touch that keyboard. That student who knew a few notes and wanted to go and play it. The great pianist. The concert pianist who knew that he wasn't worthy to play the keys that Beethoven had composed on. And as we come to these verses this morning, as we, as we come into church, as we think about worshipping, as we think about serving God, as we think about our relationships with each other and serving each other as Christians, as believers in Christ. I want to ask you, how do you feel? Maybe you come into this room this morning and you feel like you know the notes, like you know the tune, that you're in control. As Porig reminded us, there's things that are happening in the world even this morning that we have no influence over. Or maybe, maybe you're aware that you have done nothing to bring yourself before God. And it's only through Jesus that you can come and bring praise and worship this morning. How do you see yourself like that student who knows the notes, who wants to come and play the piano? Or like that great concert pianist, humbling himself before the composer. Just before we, before we dive into the verses in a bit more detail, uh, just, let's just spend another minute in prayer. Father, these are difficult uh, verses, and Lord, I just pray that as we come to understand them, that you would speak this morning, that through me you would... Uh, you would teach me first, Lord, um, what it means to be humble 
and what it means to be humble before you and a humble member of your, your people, Lord. And Lord, I just pray, as Pori prayed again, that we would all take something away from these verses, Lord. I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to, to be changed, Lord, by you. Lord, I just pray that as we think about the words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago, that they would be real for us this morning, that you would make them real for us. And that we would see how they impact our lives today and tomorrow and in the weeks, months and years ahead. Amen. So if you have a look at Luke and chapter 7, yeah, sorry, chapter 14 and verse 7, it starts by saying, now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. To get the context of that, you need to uh, just run back to verse 1 of chapter 14. So Jesus is at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, uh, it says here in the ESV. Uh, that can be translated, that ruler of the Pharisees can be translated as a leader of the Pharisees or a prominent Pharisee. One of the great teachers uh, there in first century uh, Palestine. Jesus has gone there to dine at his house. And uh, in verse 3, then, we see who else is there with him. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees. So these are the other guests who were there at dinner with Jesus. So Jesus is speaking to Pharisees, to experts in the law, to experts in the, in the Old Testament law. And as Jesus is there, dining with these people, Luke tells us that he noticed how they chose the places of honour, how they chose where they sat at the table where the dinner is being uh, served. And so Jesus is telling a story, telling a parable to illustrate a point of teaching based on the practices of the time. When you went to dinner, particularly dinner at somebody important's house, like one of these, like, like this leader of the Pharisees, you would be seated around the table and you kind of imagine a, kind of imagine a U-shaped table with maybe uh, a table here and then running out up there. And you'd be seated by your rank, by how distinguished you were, your, your level of distinction in society. And so the banquet, this dinner, becomes a public ex exhibition of your status in society. And the most important guests would arrive later on. So if I arrive early, because I like being on time, I could choose to go and sit right up at the front where the, where the host is. But I risk being moved on if somebody more distinguished arrives later on. Also, we need to know that in the first century in Israel, the culture was based on, on honour. It was based on kind of gaining honour. And so this idea of what your social pecking order and how honourable you are, how distinguished you are, is really, really important to them. 
related, of course, to our human desire to be first, to be prominent. So what does Jesus say to these Pharisees, to these teachers of the law, as he tells this parable in verses 8 to 10? When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in a place of honour, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all who sit at table with you. On the face of it, this is quite a simple parable, isn't it? It's quite a simple thing that Jesus is saying. When you, when you get your invitation to the wedding feast, when you turn up at the wedding feast, don't go and sit yourself as close to the, as close to the host as you can, as close to the, the top of the table as you can. Because if somebody who's higher up in the society comes along, then the host might say, give up your place, move down the table. This person's more important to me than you are. In verse 9, where Jesus says, give up your seat, uh, as, he's, as he's kind of talking through this, the host, it's not actually kind of somebody coming along and say, I'm sitting here, and Jason says, would you mind moving along a little bit? It's an idea of surrendering your place, surrendering the position. It's much more of a command than it is asking nicely to, to move up a bit. And so this kind of brief, and self-assumed promotion leads to a permanent humiliation as you're ordered to move down the table. And the Pharisees should have known, should have known this. They should have been aware of this. This is teaching that Jesus is reflecting on that comes out in the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 and 7. Say, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it's better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. And so on the face of it, that's the parable. If we just read the parable, we might think Jesus has given us some really solid advice about turning up to a, to a wedding feast. But we would have missed verse 11. And we would have missed the whole point of Jesus' teaching. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Just like that girl who goes to the Beethoven Museum and it exalts herself by saying, let me play that keyboard. And in the, in the end, the guard puts her in her place by saying, no, the great pianists don't come and play here. They know that this was Beethoven's keyboard. Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, here, as we read it, we kind of think, 
Well, this is kind of something that nobody's taking any action. This is, this is a very passive language. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but by who? And he who humbles himself will be exalted. But, but how? By who? And when Luke writes like this, this is because he's, not, he's trying not to say God. It's just the style of the writing. And so what we need to do is we need to insert God into that sentence. For God, for God will humble everyone who exalts himself. And God will humble those uh, those who humble themselves will be exalted by God. God will humble the exalted, or those who exalt themselves, and exalt those who are humbled. Jesus is warning the Pharisees against the, the folly of self-promotion, the root of the problem that he sees in the Pharisees. Even in uh, verse 1 of chapter 14, there's a ruler of the Pharisees exalting himself, and as Jesus is putting this warning out there, he teaches for everyone, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And so Jesus is looking forward to the final day, to God's final judgment, as was so brilliantly illustrated as Porig read Psalm 75 earlier. And so if we just read the parable if we just read those three verses, we'd see the practical advice. But we'd miss that Jesus is illustrating a spiritual principle. And as we think about that spiritual principle, I just want to notice three things quickly. Three places that we humble ourselves before God. And that God humbles us. And that we need humility in our lives. First of all, we can't become a Christian. We can't become a follower of Jesus without being humble, without humility. When, when was the last time you went to a wedding feast? When was the last time you, you went to a wedding? Probably quite a while ago now. Uh, I was trying to think when the last time I was at a wedding was, and it was probably November 2019 that I was at a wedding. It was actually in this room. But when you go to a wedding, you're not in control. You're not in charge of that wedding when you're a guest, are you? You don't get to define, well, now, now I think it's time for the wedding to happen. Now I think it's time for the dinner to be served. I'm going to sit myself in the bridegroom's seat because that's the seat that I want to have. You're not in control of a wedding when you turn up as a guest. The wedding feast that Jesus talks about here in his parable, it's a context that is much larger than the individual. So the guests don't get to define where they sit by themselves. The context of the wedding is defined by the master of ceremonies, the person in charge of the wedding feast. Maybe when you go home, you can carry on reading through Luke chapter 14. 
And you'll see that Jesus expands on the idea of a great banquet, a great feast, as he talks about the kingdom of God in a following parable. And so the wedding feast, in the context of Luke, this wedding feast that Jesus describes, is also a thinly veiled reference to the kingdom of God. And, as we've seen from verse 11, God's final judgment will come and exalt those who are humbled and humble those who, are, who have exalted themselves. And Luke again uses that exact same phrasing as he talks about the last day in Luke chapter 18. On that day, as we read in Psalm 75, God will judge with equity and the righteous, those who, those who God has made righteous, will be lifted up, will be exalted. And so, as we receive an invitation to that banquet, the wedding feast that is the kingdom of God, we didn't do anything to earn that invitation. We were invited And as we enter that wedding feast, as we enter the kingdom of God, just like going to a wedding, it's a context that is much bigger than me. It's a context that I don't define. I can't define what happens in the kingdom of God. I don't get to have a say in how God runs his kingdom. God is in charge of the kingdom. He gives the invitations to those he has graciously chosen to enter his kingdom. And I can only enter, I can only join that wedding feast, I can only join the kingdom by accepting that invitation, by taking it and doing something about it. Thankful that I have been invited, knowing humbly that I didn't do anything to deserve that invitation. Joining the wedding feast. Joining the kingdom of God. It's not about making myself more grand. It's not about lifting myself up and praising myself. It's about praising God. It's about lifting up God and serving him. Recognising that we have done nothing to deserve entering the kingdom. Nothing to deserve the invitation to that banquet. So first of all, we can't become a Christian without humbling ourselves. Secondly, as we come to worship, as we come to pray to God, we can't do that in pride either, can we? We have to humble ourselves there as well. I was really struck as Nathan was preaching last week and there was a, a particular phrase that he used that I've been thinking about all week, actually, since he, since he mentioned it. He said, if an army marches on its stomach, a church advances on its knees. I'll say it again. If, a, if an army marches on its stomach, a church advances on its knees. I shared when I was preaching last from, uh, from Romans, where Paul urges us to strive in prayer, that that's something that I, that I struggle with. And so that, that phrase really struck home to me. 
And as I was thinking about how we humble ourselves before God, I was thinking that the days that I go without prayer, when I'm not striving in prayer, these are the days that I live in pride, that I'm putting myself in control, that I'm not advancing on my knees. As we come to pray, as we come to worship, we recognise that we are not in control. We recognise that there is something greater than us, and it's God. Listen to some of the words that we've already sung this morning. Highly exalted. Here I am to bow down. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin put on the cross. In praise to you alone. We are weak, frail, helpless in the storm. These are all words that we've sung this morning. And as, as I heard those words, I was thinking, how easy it is for us just to roll them off our tongues. Because they're words that are familiar to us. But when we really believe that God is highly exalted, when we really mean that I am here to bow down and worship, when we really think about never knowing how much it cost for Jesus to go to the cross for us, we recognise that we are humble before God. That God is so much greater than we are. David Mathis wrote this. All prayer from adoration to confession of sin to expression of gratitude to petitioning to God for our daily bread to praying for others cultivates in us a general sense of dependence on God. However, when we know ourselves especially desperate and appeal to God for rescue in the face of some looming threat, we experience an intensity that the scriptures connect to self-humbling. So we become humble as we become a Christian. We become humble when we really think about prayer and worship. And we, be, we need to be humble as we serve God and each other. If you read through Luke, if you were Theophilus, who Luke wrote the gospel to originally, you wouldn't be surprised to hear Jesus teaching like this. The disciples themselves, back in Luke chapter 9, ask Jesus, which of us is the greatest? Who of us is the greatest? And Jesus says, he who is least among you, as he shows them a child. This shouldn't have been surprising teaching to those who have been around Jesus and to those who are familiar with the story that Luke is telling, the way that Luke is presenting the good news. So I wonder if, like the disciples, maybe as we come to serve God, as we come to serve each other, 
Do we ask, who is the greatest? Do we ask, am I better than, am I better than you? Where is my position in the church? Am I, where is my position as I serve? And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, is there anything that I wouldn't do today to serve God, to serve you? Is there anything that I feel is a bit beneath me? Because if there is, then I'm being proud and exalting myself. Maybe I, maybe I feel I, I don't feel a bit like stacking the chairs today, or maybe I'm not going to get involved in the washing up, or maybe I'm not going to listen and be a shoulder to cry on for somebody who needs it. But if I think like that, as I come to serve God, as I come to serve my fellow brothers and sisters here, then I'm being proud and I'm not humbling myself. Maybe there's somebody that you think it's beneath you to talk to. See, while the Pharisees tried to promote their honour, in the next parable, Jesus talks about a feast where the crippled, the lame, the blind, the outcasts are brought in to the feast. There isn't anybody who should be beneath us to talk to. And, and this isn't God calling us to an attitude of false modesty. This isn't, this isn't God calling us to serve in a way so that you know, I, I stack a few chairs and somebody comes along and says, oh, thank you for doing that. Thank you so much. That's not what God is talking about here. The Pharisees, as they exalt themselves, as they look for their own status, as they seek honour, earthly honour, they stop being a model of God's will for his people. They stop modelling how God wants them to live. We are ambassadors for Christ. And so instead of seeking honour as we serve God and as we serve each other, we seek the kingdom. But so often we get sidetracked by seeking power, position in the church even, recognition in our communities, by seeking our own good opinion of ourselves. And we need to pray to God that we seek the kingdom first and serve as kingdom ambassadors so that we can serve in this humble way. Being a Christian disciple is not about self-promotion. It's not about thinking that we know the first few notes of the Moonlight Sonata and we can sit at Beethoven's piano and play. It's freedom from that self-promotion. It's freedom from that self-obsession that makes us think like that. Instead, it allows us to trust. It allows us to trust the one who has given us the invitation to the wedding feast. 
And as we accept that invitation, it allows us, instead of self-promotion, instead of self-obsession, it allows us to find our identity in Jesus. Our honour, as the Pharisees were looking for, we can find that in the kingdom of God. Our place and our purpose in life comes as we see the kingdom and serve the kingdom and seek the kingdom as ambassadors of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, these are, these are challenging verses. And Father, I just pray that as we, as we go from here, as we, as we sing, as we talk to each other, as we, as we serve each other, even in the, in the next hour or so, Lord, that you would help us to see ways in which we can, we can serve as ambassadors. Lord, I pray that as we seek your kingdom, rather than seeking our own self-honour, that you would just help us to find that freeing, Lord. Help us to, help us to find that something that, that as we find our identity more and more in Jesus, that we grow in love for you and love for each other and humility in understanding that we don't we don't have all the notes to play that we are not the composers of life we're not the composers of the universe keeping it ticking over day by day father open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see that And Lord, that we would, we would seek to see you lifted high, glorified, rather than seeking to find ourselves glorified for a time. A temporary time, Lord. Lord, we, we just look forward to the, to the day that we can, we can praise you fully in heaven and see your full glory, your full honour. 